Hi everybody, welcome along to this special preview snippet from our monthly Conservations Interview podcast. This month we have a little bit of a treat for you actually because the interview we recorded with Dr Robert Loretz about the power of music goes for more than two hours. So this special preview is actually going to be about 60 minutes long. If you want to hear the full two-hour interview and get access to all of our other exclusive patrons-only content, then you need to go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia and become a $5 monthly patron. That's patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in today's show notes. In the meantime, enjoy this special preview. Welcome to Conservations, the podcast which got its name by literally combining the words conservative and conversations, which is exactly what happens on this show every month. Each episode, we host a conversation with at least one other guest where we go in-depth on a topic or hear about their experiences on this journey we all share together called life. The aim of this show is to foster and promote dialogue which cultivates goodness, truth and beauty and in doing so unpacks the richness of the authentic conservative tradition. My hope is that you'll find these conservative conversations intellectually engaging and enriching and that they will draw you ever more deeply into an authentic, truly flourishing and more meaningfully lived human experience. In this month's episode we are going to be talking with Dr Robert Loretz about the power of music. Robert has a Bachelor of Music in Performance, a Master's of Music with Honours in the Analysis of Music, and a PhD in Ethics entitled Deep Friendship, Virtue and Fulfilment, as well as numerous papers in theology and another four years of study in France in philosophy and theology. He has lectured for the Marist Seminary and for Good Shepherd College, both here in New Zealand, in the history of church music, and has presented lectures in the discernment of sacred music and its history for the Catholic Chaplaincy at Notre Dame, Sydney University, and in Brisbane for the Catholic National Conference of University Students. He was a finalist in every national piano competition in New Zealand in the early 1990s, and he has taught piano and general music privately and in schools over the last few decades. He has also been the musical director for the 10-day Hearts of Flame Catholic Summer School for over 20 years, and he has co-written an opera comedy for tours of New Zealand primary and secondary schools called Singerella, as well as a musical about the founder of the Sisters of Mercy called Catherine Song for the 150th anniversary of St Mary's College in Auckland. He founded the Auckland Sacred Music Choir, Sursum Corda, which he conducted for several decades, as well as developing parish choirs and conducting the North Harbour Women's Choir in Auckland. On top of all of that, he has set all of the Christian psalms to newly written modal antiphons and ancient modal psalm tones, and these are used in churches all around New Zealand, Australia and other parts of the world, as well as writing the lyrics, music or both for over 60 different hymns. As a special addition to this episode of Conservations, we will be including snippets from some of Robert's hymns as musical interludes between the discussion, which covers all sorts of music-related topics that we hope you find as enjoyable to listen to as we did to discuss. So without any further ado, let's have this month's conservative conversation with Dr Robert Loretz about the power of music. Rob, 
Robert, it is great to have you here with us today on Conservations to have this, I think, is a really important conversation about music, a topic that, uh, I don't know, I, I don't think we talk about it enough. And I think that um, authentic conservatism and authentic conservative thought has a lot of interesting things, I think, to offer in this space. And there's something really beautiful about music that's powerful and transformative. But when I was deciding where to start, I thought, well, where should I start today? And I thought, well, um, I remember probably... I think it was the first time I uh, I ever met you, and it, it was at an event. It was at a Hearts of Flame Catholic Summer School, a big ten day event that's run in New Zealand. So some of our listeners are Protestants; they may not have heard of that before. And uh, I uh, am a musician myself. Uh, I met this guy called Robert Loretz, and I encountered some of your music, and it was just yeah, I was just in awe of your ability, and there there was something. I, for me, it really transformed my appreciation of music, particularly the sacredness of what sacred music could be and how important that all was. And 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 I, I, I'm really interested to know, was there a moment in your life when you knew I'm going to be a musician, a music teacher, that, that's a, a, a path I'm going to pursue? Or was there, were there other options open to you? Well, thank you for your kind words there, Brendan. Well, I mean, I really <laughs> do mean them. I really do. Um, for, in terms of... Um yeah, I, I I thought I would be a lawyer, and, and mm. I wanted to be a prosecuting lawyer. Um, <laughs> I, could, I could also see you doing that. Yeah, because right. when when we were sick uh, and got to stay home from school, Mum would be watching Crown Court, you know, and the prosecuting <laughs> lawyer was was a real dramatist. And I thought, oh, I'd love to reduce people to tears like they do, and you know. But then, um, and I really was right up to the end of school. I was thinking of, of doing law, except that I'd always played the piano from seven years old, and. My mother had tricked me into getting up at 6.30 every morning, making them a cup of tea in bed, and then doing my practice for half an hour. And yeah. That's all you really need to do to kick off. Was, and, that, was and there music in your family? My mother was yeah. very musical, yeah. yeah. She, she um, got to grade 8 by about 12 years old. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, I, yeah, some classical music, mm. just piano. Um, and, um, yeah, I stuck at it. And then I, got, I, I, I just happened to get a very, very good piano teacher – uh, at Avondale College, we didn't have much money, and we only learnt off the the teacher that was attached to the school. So we had a nun in St Mary's, thirty dollars a term. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we thought, well, they might not be able to afford anymore. And I got to secondary, and Avondale College was one of the few schools that had a permanent piano teacher, government funded. Yeah. So I ended up just paying something like sixty dollars a term there. So you know. Yeah. Like, um, but she was one of the best teachers that Auckland has. Yeah. And um, so she gave me this this real. She actually refined all my technique. I, I had a lot of musicianship, but not yeah. much technique at all. Yeah. And she refined all that. And then um, and put me in competitions and put me in exams and all of those letters and all those things. And then. Then it just came time. One of my options would be a piano degree. Yeah. You had to audition in seventh form, so I auditioned. And um, then when I got in, and I was the only, well, there were two of us that got in in Auckland, and one the other guy left, so I was the only guy in my year yeah. doing piano. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's a very small little group of people who did it. Usually, yeah. you had to get quite a high standard. Yeah. And um, yeah, more or less because I got in, I I, I thought, well, I, I got in, I should go. <laughs> but also, also, I also thought, well, if I do law, I probably won't enjoy the degree, but I might enjoy the pay. Yeah. Um, but at least if, if I do music and then change my mind later and do something else, I would have enjoyed myself while I was there. I just based it on as simple as that and chose music. And um, did you, did you ever have a, a like you're? I think those people who know you know that you have a very 
like sacred music as a style, classical. Did you yeah. always have that leaning or were you thinking, I'm going to be a pop musician and then you discovered oh, no, something no, deeper? I didn't really grow up with pop music because um, mm. I played piano and I knew all the classical repertoire. Yeah. But, but still, that's very different to the sacred music because yes, piano because. is you know, mainly just Beethoven, Mozart, all that sort of yeah. thing. So um, I only learned about sacred music properly at university and even then late. So yeah. I did my performance piano degree. Mm. Where you cover all all the history of music, but only only um, you know as much as you're interested in it, and then, um, but we had Dr. Fiona McAlpine, who's one of the world experts on medieval music. Yeah, she was there. I didn't take that paper when I was there because when you're a pianist, you think medieval music's irrelevant because the piano yeah. wasn't invented back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until later on that I realised I've missed out on learning about that, and I wanted to go back because I found out how to compose in the ancient style of. Um, the Renaissance composers, uh, we, we got taught the counterpoint methods of, yeah. and all the great composers learned those when they were five, six, and seven years old. And it's a very, very simple method. I could teach it to, I, at the moment I'm teaching it to 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds. Yeah. So I went back to learn about medieval music when I was a bit older. Mm. Then I could be one of those annoying adult students <laughs> that asks all the questions and, yeah, you know. Anyway, um and so did you catch the fire? Then you, you caught a bug, did you? Yeah, yeah. Well, the more I did, after piano degree, I did a master of music and analysis. Yeah. And, and like, it's funny, at the end of each thing, you think you know something, but then when you do more, you realize you didn't know anything. And, and even though you know a lot more, you'd feel like, now there's way more that you don't know, you yeah, know? So, yeah. like, when I left school, I thought, I know all about music. Yeah. After I finished my piano degree, I thought, I'm only just touching the surface. I don't really. Wow. Then after the master's, I'm like, wow, there's so much I don't know. But, but, but at the same time, you're getting an overview. Yeah. And um, um, what, what the beauty of going backwards in time yeah. is, is you can sort of, you really understand um, music if you really understand, I think, the, the roots of it, the medieval yeah. roots of it. Yeah. It's really even earlier, if we look at it properly, um, Christian music's come out of the Jewish music. The the What we hear today in most music is major or minor scale, you know, yeah, yeah. and everybody knows those who plays music. Yeah. But um, in the ancient world, they used um, a series of modes. Uh, so the Dorian mode is basically the white notes from D to D on the piano. Um, it's a different set of notes to if you started on E and went to E or F and then went to F. Yeah. So you get different intervals yeah. and different feel for each mode. And when you and what I learnt from Fiona was, um, well, we sort of studied the ancient chants to, to look at their construction. Yeah. How do you write in the Dorian mode? How do you write in mm. the Phrygian mode? What are the main tones you'd linger on? You know, mm. what and and it, I don't know. It gives you a it gives you a deep appreciation for a different, a whole different feel that the sacred music's always had these modes right yeah. through. And and the other one was I went to, um, uh, what is it, um, the Oasis of Peace for about six months over in Italy. It's a quite a contemplative religious order. Yeah. And they chanted um, 150 psalms a week because they were using the old office. 150 a week? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the old office did used to do every psalm in one week. Yeah, wow. wow. And... Um, but they used those old tones. They were in Italian. They weren't yeah. doing Latin, but they but they were using all those old tones. And and I fell in love with them. So was, uh, because after a while, they're just so natural. They're very yeah. peaceful. Um, mm. you and I don't say this lightly. I think you have a, a a sort of musical genius about you. And people often say genius has a sort of borderline madness to it as well. Have there I've been got moments? The madness. I don't know about the genius. <laughs> 
have there been moments for you when you felt that sort of madness of music or maybe that you're seeing musically the world differently than others around you they're not quite getting it and and if only they could see the wonder of what you're seeing or you know well, I, mean? I used to I used to feel that a lot as a teenager <laughs> because um like back in those days you know you had a ghetto blaster yeah and we'd go down to school camp with about a 6 hour journey down to <laughs> down to the mountains yeah and um, I would bring the ghetto blaster so that I could control the music because <laughs> I had completely different tastes. Well played. <laughs> so, um, and I'd say to them, you can play one of your songs and then one of my songs, one yeah. of your songs and then one of my songs. Yeah. So they'd play their three minute, well, you know, maybe a six minute Bohemian Rhapsody is about as long as it gets. <laughs> yeah. And then I would play, um, you know, a 20 minute Mozart symphony. Yeah. Or <laughs> I, I remember down in the mountains, Blasting Handles Messiah. Well, I guess I guess the thing, and that's in classical music. In classical music, there's such an emotional journey going on that I, at first, when I was young, I couldn't relate to modern music because I, because it never changed its mood enough. Yeah. In one song, yeah, it tends to capture a certain mood. Like, yeah. like, and I do like modern music a lot more now. Yeah. But, but. So have, when you were younger, you were actually getting that sense of of the the yeah. depth and the profundity you, of what it was. Because when you play, yeah, when you play these big pieces, you have to enter that journey deeply yeah. to play them properly, yeah. and your teacher guides you through all of that. And mine was brilliant. She used to make up a story basically about every single piece, so every inflection in the music. I was imagining a whole saga of a story and yeah. and bringing out that inflection. And then when you go to you know. You got a song that's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus. You know what? Do, yeah. What do they call that other bit? Um, the bridge. Bridge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The modern pop <laughs> chorus. Song. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, you know. What do you say about it once you've said that? You know, like yeah. it's. Um, well, well, th you, this is it important. can be catchy, but it's not um, deep. Yeah. So so and so um, yeah. It's uh, but what I came to realize later is we've always had the two musics alongside yeah. each other. A fun music and a sacred music. Yes, and it's usually the sacred music in history that's been the deep music. Yeah, um, and then there's the celebratory yeah. dance music. Is 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 you know let your hair let your, let your hair down, and if you listen to medieval dance music, it's quite wild. It's quite jazzy. Yeah. It's quite amazing, but but it's um very rhythmic. Yeah. Um. Then you go to the Gregorian chant. It's not rhythmic at all. Yeah. So there's no pulse. You know, there's no one, two, three, yeah. four. It's no straight jacket on it. No, it's free flowing. It's it's like waves of of sound and impulses of sighing. You could mm. say, probably the closest modern expression. <clears throat> I mean, I could be wrong about this, but I get the sense that maybe jazz is the closest to maybe what uh, the way in which. Um, it's not sacred. Jazz is not sacred, but do you know what I mean? There's a sense in mm. which it's not yeah. it's not constrained in the same way. Quite that interesting I'm, what you're saying, yeah, yeah, because jazz is the one field that takes up all the old modes. Yeah, um, and it's and in fact the heart, when you learn jazz theory, which I'd never learned, mm. um, but I have had students now from when I was teaching at secondary that went on to do jazz degrees, and they come back all excited to show me what jazz theory is all about, and because I'd taught them. Classical theory. Yeah. I taught them, and I taught them the modes, which isn't even usually taught at schools. But yeah. they went in knowing at, from a classical point of view, and yeah. then they could map on so many things oh, yeah. wow. onto jazz. Yeah. And jazz, jazz will study not just the Dorian mode, but you know, seven adaptations of the Dorian mode in different ways, and they yeah. they have to really become familiar and and improvise in all of these different yeah. modes. Um, 
So there is that, yeah. Well, I, I was thinking the other day though that, that jazz is very the closest thing to jazz in history is really the Baroque period of, of Bach and um, you know Handel and all of those yeah. guys. When when you used to, I was talking about Bach the other day. He, you know, you, when you think how hard these guys worked, yeah. He wrote a cantata, which is about a twenty-minute-long piece of music for orchestra, four big soloists, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, <laughs> choir. Yeah, every week for church on a different theme wow. of the gospel. Wow! Um, and and that means he has to write all the music and rehearse it and put it on and start again the next week on a new one. Yeah, and and. Um, of course, he used to write every part out, you know, violin part written out, you know, wow. scroll them all out as fast as he can, and then get it all get it all written and and out there to the musicians. They would have had a day or two to quickly sight read it. Yeah, and the musicians in those days just could could do things instantly. Yeah. So so and and so then there's never any time to write the keyboard part down on for the harpsichord. Yeah. So all they did was they wrote they wrote just the one note of the bass yeah. uh, of the that your little finger would play. Yeah. And then a little codes of numbers underneath. So if, if you saw a C, you play a C chord. If you didn't want it to be a C chord, but an A minor chord um, with a C at the bottom, then you'd have to put the number six on it to tell you to, 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 to don't put a fifth, put a sixth, and that'll give you A minor. Yeah. And so there was a few codes that they learned. Yeah. It's called figured bass. And 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 all they got was the one bass line, like the cello line, mm -hmm. a few numbers, and they just improvise away and play beautiful. Wow music on top and you had to be that kind of musician in those days. Yeah. Even go back a period to the Renaissance, you know, Henry the Eighth and Elizabeth the First. Yeah. Um Madrigals, um, which are complicated, really fun part music that you'd sing at a posh dinner party after dinner, you know, um Someone would turn up with a madrigal written. Oh, oh, you know, John's written us a madrigal. Uh, John Farmer, Fair Phyllis, and 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 the, and the aristocracy would just sight read it on the spot. Wow, no rehearsal. Wow, and it was considered you be like, oh, don't you know how to read? Like if you can't read music, yeah. uh, like that's how much they were into it back then. That's fascinating. Yeah, eh? it's amazing the skill they had, and we've lost a lot of it. Um, now, you know, um, well, it, it, in well, one way. Well, we'll talk about that in a second because I have a theory about what's going on here and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. But I I was thinking too, when you mentioned storytelling in medieval, funnily enough, I thought to myself, I was in preparing for today, mm. um, and I didn't know you were going to say that, but because I, I was thinking, you know who I think of as probably quite close to that medieval concept of music? And, I, and there's a certain timelessness to him, mm. even though he's not, and that's Johnny Cash. He mm -hmm. tells stories yeah. and he celebrates events and his songs. So many of them are mm. just ballads. Ballads, yeah. And then when he's not talking it's about like ballads, Don McLean a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, those old guys that just—they basically are telling a story. Yeah, yeah. In it's a like a troubadour who might have wandered the troubadour, land. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And, and also, um, when he's not doing that, mm. the other big theme in his music is God. Yeah. It's God and event. God yeah. and event. It's yeah. very interesting, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Secular and sacred music has a completely different sound. Through the whole Middle Ages, so when I say Middle Ages, we're really talking 400 until 1450. So it's yeah. a big period, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A thousand years, yeah. Uh, and it does develop quite a lot, but and it's fairly experimental. Even it's like it's amazing what the developments they did in that time. Yeah. Like I, I used to give the kids at school a bit of a music oral test after they studied all of the history, and um, they'd get one minute excerpts, for 20 pieces of music from the whole of Western history, yeah, and then. 
the first thing they have to do is go, is it sacred or is it secular? Oh, yeah. Which you don't always judge by the words because you can't always hear the words or whatever. But yeah. um, it's basically f- for them to know it was Gregorian chant as opposed to med- medieval folk music, Yeah, um, you're going to feel a pulse in medieval yeah. fo- If you think Scarborough Fair, yeah. we are going to Scarborough Fair, parsley cedars, many and yeah. There's a definite pulse. Um, it either sounds like dance if it's fast yeah. or trance if it's slow. Yeah. Um, church yeah. music never sounds like either of those actually. Um, yeah. It's it's much more free flowing. And when we when I used to start with Gregorian chant, and I was at a state school, you know, Massey High School, yeah. um, and and usually we schools start a bit later. They start yeah. music and maybe at Baroque period, which is sixteen hundred. Yeah. Or they might start um, if they're a really good school, they might go back another hundred years. We'd we'd start with Gregorian chant and 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 the Westies from West Auckland aren't, aren't that familiar. <laughs> no. So unless they go to Teatro, it's not the first thing you think of <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you yeah. think of West Auckland. <laughs> Gregorian chant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so <clears throat> the first thing I used to say, what do you notice? You know, and 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 what you notice from a modern point of view is there isn't this and there isn't that and there isn't that and there yeah. isn't that. So there's no harmony, just yeah. one line. Yeah. Um. There's no pulse or fixed rhythm, if you like. It's yeah. it's free flowing. Um, it's, yeah, it, and it's sort of, um, it, it takes off, I almost want to play, is there somewhere I can play, um, one, one, hallelujah. Can you hear that? So there's a there's a and that's real, just one word, that, and that's 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 the completion of one word. Yeah, Hallelujah. Yeah, and, and the idea there is, <clears throat> um, the soul's got the soul's almost left the body. It's it's yeah. it's like all your desire to go up there and be with God. Yeah, it's like the soul's just floated up like incense up the whole, the whole cathedral, you know, or whatever the basilica with its high roof. Well, because one of the things too that's actually interesting is is that with sacred music. The the music is at service of the of the worship and the what is being prayed, right? Yes. Whereas whereas the with what you find with secular and the music, of prayer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so so if you you know you invoke the the Trinity, you you go up, right? You say Jesus, you go up for the elevation, or God the Father, is it? You go up. Not necessarily word painting like that. Um, that does happen uh, later on. Yeah. But um, funnily enough, in the Middle Ages, they didn't do that. There's uh, there's about two examples of it. Um, well, not many anyway. Um, there is a Gregorian chant for the, the ascension yeah. that goes up just because he's going up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But mostly, what I what I what I found quite striking when I did learn about medieval music was um, they don't really paint the mood of the words; um, they paint the spirit of prayer. Yeah, okay. So, so if you think of the spirit of prayer as that the mind and the heart want to lift up to God, yeah, the soul is yearning and thirsting, yeah, um, and and it's quite interesting with Gregorian chant because 
when if people first hear it, they can think it's a little bit sad. That sounds a bit funerally or yeah. something like that because it's solemn. Yeah, and and funerals and weddings should always sound similar because they're two solemn occasions. Yeah, you know. Right. Yeah. Um, by the way, just a quick word to anyone thinking of getting married: don't you dare use CDs and ruin your whole wedding with your favourite <laughs> song. Talk to us, and we'll make it a lot better than it would be. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's anyway, true. make it but, beautiful. <laughs> make it sacred. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, sorry, what were we saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, half the audience has just checked out. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're talking about the way in which it's it's the sort of the the nature of prayer is what the, that's the right. music is. Yeah, invoking. that's right. So yeah. so so it's quite interesting that you could get a Christmas chant, you could get a Good Friday chant, you could get an Easter Sunday chant, and they're not going to sound that different mm. in the mood because the mood isn't. Oh, we're happy today because it's Christmas. We're sad yeah. today because it's Good Friday. It's not like that comes later. Yeah, that came when opera was basically invented um, in in sixteen hundred. Well, let's talk and, about that because yeah. this this is where the the where music owes this huge debt to Christianity, right? And oh, huge. to the church and yeah. like like opera is <coughs> something that comes out of the singing of the gospel on big high Christian feasts, right? Correct, and and and, and the liturgical dramas. Yeah, yeah. So the Middle Ages really flourished. Um, you know, around the twelve and thirteen hundreds, mm. and everything overflows from the liturgy. Mm. So, um, what, uh, a good example would be um, the uh, the chants of Montserrat, which Montserrat was one of the shrines you walked to on a huge pilgrimage, you know, mm. in Spain. What what you got was the the pilgrims would normally go on pilgrimage, and, and as they went, they'd have certain songs they sang while they marched and walked. Yeah. Even on the Crusades, there's Crusader songs, yeah. and they're really cool. And they've got a kind of they've got a kind of rhythm to them because they're walking and yeah. marching, and and they've got this oomph to them. And then you got the style that you'd sing in the church, which mm-hmm. is much more. It's you could say it's it's more reverent than that. So so. Um, even though a lot of the music that they used for fun, we can use almost in church because it's still a lot more reverent than most of the music we have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but but and what they used to do is they'd get to church, they'd do their, their chants, and then they'd go to the pub at night and yeah. they'd sing their slightly naughty songs yeah. of their folk music. Yeah. Or songs all about death, but but in a funny way. Yeah. You know? or, or the plague has got your the, wife yeah, and yeah. your third son. And your, yeah. You know. Like even their lullabies are like, oh, <laughs> please stop crying, dearest darling boy, or I'll give you back to God, or I'll give you to, I'll give you to a witch, but she'll give you back in a day. You know, that's the kind of words in the... But, Happy um, times. <laughs> but... Um, there was no pub in Montserrat, so 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 they had to sleep in the church at night. So that, but they wanted to have fun at night. Yeah. So that, but they couldn't sing their their bawdy songs oh, in the church. Yeah. So they created a whole lot of sacred music for fun that wasn't for the mass, that they would sing, and it's much more jazzy. Yeah. And and it's um, uh, may may I play one? Yeah, of course you can. Go for it. So this is called Maria Martrum, and it's from the manuscripts of Montserrat. And if you if you think about it compared to Gregorian chant, it's a little bit more nifty. Dun, 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 dun. 
So you can you can actually hear the constraints of of a of a, of a rhythm and a, and, yeah. a, and a melody and, and singing a bit faster. Yeah. It's like Maria, ma da di da 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 di da 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 di da 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 da. Yeah, it's a little. It sounds almost. And that grows out of. They can't go to the pub. They yeah. want to sing songs yeah. that are a bit more so that'll be, celebratory, that'll be a bit bouncy, a bit a yeah. bit like their pub music. And 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 what they did do in the later Middle Ages, and um, that, that links to what we're talking about, where opera came from. Yeah, um, you'd have a, if you have Christmas, you're not just going to have the Christmas mass. Mm. You're going to have a plays afterwards, and the different guilds would put on uh, different aspects of, of of the day, you know. And someone might do a play about Herod killing the babies, and that's where we get Luli Lula, yeah. the little tiny child, the yeah. beautiful carol from yeah. the from the medieval dramas. Um, the music for these things is is quite startling, and and um. And so, and so what what that that is what the beginning of opera as we know it, isn't well it's um, or musical fest- fe- musical festival theater? festival music so it's like folk music but it's religious folk music So um, yeah, that that kind of music isn't the style of Gregorian chant, which is actually the style of the liturgical music. Yeah. But um, you can use these things like on a Christmas uh, carol yeah, night yeah. or something like that. Um, uh, it's quite beautiful music. But but yeah, so the very original, you could say, origin of opera, apart from being a fantasy, because um, opera came from two things. One was reading about the ancient Greek plays, which were yeah. sung. And, and and we don't have the music and we don't know what it sounded like. But all we know is they wrote down about them that peop- the audience were wailing and crying and yeah. almost screaming at times because it was all so emotionally moving. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and then when the people of the Renaissance read that, you know, in about 1450. Yeah. Well, actually, 1600 was when opera came along. But, that, but um, they were like... Well, how come everything was so moving back then, but nothing's that moving now? Yeah, uh, they must have had, and then they invented opera, thinking what they must have had yeah. to make the drama that emotional. <laughs> but but it wouldn't have been anything like that actually. But 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 that's the that's the that's the imaginary um, origin. As promised, it's time to take a little break to hear a snippet of one of the hymns that Robert Loretz has written. This one is one of my favourites. It's called "Let Us Come to You, O Lord." It is a beautiful combination of Christian scripture and sacred music. And I hope you agree with me. This is something really, really special. So please enjoy this one. Let us come to you, O Lord, our living stone. Come to let ourselves be built. As living stones into a spiritual temple Make us a holy priesthood To offer spiritual sacrifices Acceptable to God our Father Through you, O Christ O stone which the builders rejected You have become the cornerstone. In you we are being built 
into our house where God lives in the spirit. Let us come to you, O Lord, our living song. Come to let ourselves be built as living stones into a spiritual temple. Make us a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God our Father, through you, Christ. You said to Simon, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Oh, found me on the apostles and prophets, with you as the main cornerstone. Let us come to you, O Lord, our living stone. Come to let ourselves be built as living stones into a spiritual temple. Make us a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God our Father, through you, O Christ. Your temple, O God, so that was Let Us Come to You, O Lord, one of the hymns written by Robert Loretz. Let's get back to our conversation now. And Robert was explaining to us the origins of opera. So one part was fantasy, and he's now about to tell us the second point of origin for the musical form we know as opera. But the other origin is is um, the Easter Gospel Easter mm. of Sunday morning, where it says, tell us, Mary, what did you see along the way? You know, and mm. Mary answers, um, and there's, there's a dialogue. And to jazz up the gospel on that day, they actually used to use different people, like like they do with the passion reading nowadays. Yeah. yeah. So you've got your narrator and your different. Yeah. So they would they would actually have different singers for that chant. Yeah. Just to just to make it special. Yeah. Um and then um that that overflowed into the the festivals around Easter where you tell other stories but it would all be sung. Um, <clears throat> but the other origin of opera is the madrigal because in, in, in the madrigal, which is... Tell me, tell me, what is a madrigal? You've, you've already talked about this earlier oh, yeah. on. These are these are performance pieces that someone, yeah. uh, just a lay person so writes and brings to a party, are they? Yeah, so, so basically it's the... Um, if, you, if you think of the, of the medieval period as having kind of folk song on the one hand and church music on the other... Um, in the Renaissance, when it all gets more sophisticated, and they develop part writing, mm. that that we move from Gregorian chant to the motet, mm. which is overlapping for uh, soprano, alto, tenor, bass, say, yeah, um, and polyphony. Uh, so so got motet's got parts, polyphony, overlapping is, lines of yep, music, different voices, yeah, and yet they wanted to respect um, the heritage of chant because mm. they're not people that are going to go. We've just sung Gregorian chant for fifteen hundred years. Chuck it out. We've got a better idea now. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, the only people that would ever be that crass would be people from the sixties. <laughs> but um, so well, we'll get to we'll get to that in just a second. We'll get to that yeah. in a second. So, but, but so so there's so a, there's a connection to yeah. tradition though. Tradition yeah, yeah. is important for them. So what they did was they 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 if 
every day of the year had a different chance, a different mm. set of chance. You know, mm. Christmas Day's got its chance, Boxing Day's got its chance. So, um, and if you were in the monasteries for a thousand years, you didn't even um, have it written down. Yeah. So everything was just um, oral tradition. Yeah. You sang this song on Christmas. You sang these quite a few chants on Christmas Day because you had morning prayer, evening prayer. They all had different antiphons, yeah. and the mass had different things. And then you'd only sing that again next Christmas. Wow! And 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 yet, so every day of the year, you can imagine there's a whole repertoire of music yeah. that they're remembering in the monasteries. Wow! And they're just and they're just correcting the new guy who comes in and starts singing it wrong. Well, that this is where we get staves and, and music written down, right? Isn't it? Because yeah, there's there's am I right here? There's there's a group of monks who say, well, we have to. To be able to teach this, so some basic dots are put on paper. Yeah, that's right. Uh, the monk called Guido of yeah. Arezzo, um, he came up with the genius idea of putting a couple of dots going up if the music went up, and a couple of dots going down <laughs> if the music went down. And then he came up with an amazing idea of putting a line across so you could tell how far it went. Yeah, and then when it, when they clapped him for that and told him he was a genius, he, he did another line, and then he did another <laughs> line, and then he did four lines. This man's an inventor. Yeah. <laughs> when will he stop? <laughs> so it was a stave, and you could tell then exactly. Yeah. Once you could write music down, and that and that happened around eleven hundred. They quickly tried to write down all the music they had, yeah, and and it spread right across Europe, of course. Um, and you have to think that um, Gregorian chants been a little bit codified by Pope Gregory around uh, six hundred, was it? Explain um, for our lay listeners. We got people here who don't probably wouldn't touch an instrument, or wouldn't know music, or right. who maybe who are out, you know, uh, some not even Christian or Protestant. What does codified mean in this context? Oh, like like they 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 kind of make it standard for the whole church to sing yep. the same song on that day, like like the Christmas Day chants, the yep. um the feast of whatever. Yep. Um, this it, is this is the music you use. This yeah, is the chant yeah. you sing. So yeah. so so it's like how Latin was the language used in the whole Western Church. Yeah. But and then the, then the Eastern churches had their other ancient languages. Yeah. Um. So and so the texts of the mass were all the same everywhere. Yeah. So was the music um, that went with that day. Yeah. I think the monks were keeping your liturgy going mainly. And yeah. You, you none, when I say monks, I'm including nuns. Yeah. Um, so they're they're keeping the liturgies going, and the and the village life is around the monasteries often. Yeah. Uh, later on, it's around the cathedrals, and that um, you know yeah. you have the age of the cathedrals comes later. The age of the monasteries and castles is there first, and then there's palaces and cathedrals, um, and universities and things. But um, what was stunning was um, when they gather all the, all everyone's writing down their music, but they, it turns out that Tantamergo yeah will be exactly the same whether it was sung in Germany, France, all across Europe. Yeah. Um, whichever part of Spain, wherever, they're singing Tantamurgo the same. And that's not by design, just it's just that our old tradition has been so on faithful. By, by yeah. old tradition, yeah. And and, and the the Alleluia we, we played earlier yeah. is very old. It's it uh, the Alleluia's are the first one of the first things written in the early church. Yeah. And they're really elaborate. Uh they got really long tails yeah. on the on the Alleluia and there's they're actually like little cells that they put together and make yeah. into large structures. And are they consistent as well? They're consistent. Wow. Yeah. So so and and, and then then it turned so out. So that that's the power of oral traditions. Some, oral you know, tradition. the, the modern skepticism for oral tradition. I know. Wow. Yeah. It yeah. only works though if you consider the thing you're passing on to be holy. Yes. Because yeah. it, because the, it's like the Bible. Um, if the Bible's the word of God and the monks are copying it out, you know, I was telling somebody 
to a child the other day about, oh, well, you know, they had to copy it out and copy it out. Well, yeah. Also, the paper doesn't last, but uh, um, you need to, you know, you have to write it out again. And, and somebody said, oh, they must have changed it a lot then as they wrote it out. And I said, no, <laughs> they didn't change a word because the, they respected it so yeah. much. The, this is the word of God. I'm not changing it. It would yeah. be uh, terribly wrong of me to change it. Well, Gregorian chants, <clears throat> not the word of God, but it was considered that the Holy Spirit had given the music somehow. Yeah. Because uh, even whenever you see an icon of a picture of Pope Gregory, who's famous for getting the same chants codified around the around Europe, um, as in standardizing it all, you, you see a picture of Pope Gregory, and then behind him is the scribe, Oh, he's got the Holy Spirit in his ear, yeah. uh, the dove. And then next to him is Guido Varezzo, who's who's <laughs> 800 years later writing yeah. it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you know, it's coming from the Holy Spirit through yeah. the oral tradition, yeah. um, and now it's been written down. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing which I found really interesting was um, the earliest Christian chants and the earliest Jewish chants are yeah. nearly identical in contour. Well, isn't there an Our Father, if I understand it correctly? The that Paternoster, is, yeah. yeah the, the chant is almost certainly The Paternoster comes Jewish. Uh, if you think how that goes, Paternoster, quies in celis. It comes from the ancient pilgrim mode, which which is... Um, uh, so you'd sing a psalm to that to that tone, like "Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness, in your compassion, blot out my offense. Oh, wash me more and more from my guilt, and cleanse me from my sin." Well, that melody is one of our oldest, yeah. um, but it's also probably the music used. Uh, it, it comes from the Jewish setting of of particular psalms, <coughs> which are the Halal psalms, I think, the Hallelujah style psalms, yeah. which are the ones used in the last in the Passover meal. So, so um, it's quite probable the the actual uh, original Jewish one is nearly note for note. Um, it's quite probable that Jesus and the apostles sang that tune on their way down to the Kidron Valley. Because wow. they sing those psalms, and the the most ancient wow. Jewish thing corresponds to the most ancient Roman in lots of modes, especially yeah. that that one. So um, that's fascinating, eh? That, it that, is. And, and that's a that's there's something mystical about that that is just look, look yeah. as you were speaking and talking about like um, monks who were who were you know writing out scripture. I, I I think straight away I thought of the difference between that modern mindset where we sort of we insert ourselves into it, our own ego. And um, mm. I'll reinterpret this, thank you very much, mm. as opposed to, no, I am at service of something good and true, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, because tradition is literally, it's handing on, isn't it? Yeah. And and um, even at the cross, um, St. John says, bowing his head, he handed on his spirit. He traditioned yeah. his Holy Spirit, is how he says Jesus died. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He handed on the spirit, yeah. and he didn't just hand it on like as he breathed his last. Yeah. He handed it on to the Father as worship, and he yeah. handed it on to us as mercy, yeah. as to make the church. And so, so um, the the idea that the church is always handing on the fullness of what it received from Jesus, it yeah. mustn't water that down or change it for any generation. Yeah. It can deepen our understanding, but it can't leave out some, you know. Yeah. And so they had this respect for for the heritage, yeah. even into the music. 
And therefore, when polyphony came along... For those who don't know, polyphony is multiple voices. Yeah, multiple voices. Yep. Um, So, for example, if you always sing the chant, Tantum ego sacramentum, on Corpus Christi Feast. Yep. The Feast of Body and Blood of Christ, for those who are not Catholics, by the way. (laughs) And uh, Thomas Aquinas actually wrote that, uh, that music for that feast. So when they go to write part music, and it's a resistible thing to do once you can do it, Mm. Um, they would take one one of the singers, and it's the tenor. Yeah, would sing the chant slowly, about four beats for each note. So it'd be and while he's doing that, the other three parts weave around much faster. So you haven't got rid of the Tantamergo. It's still there. Yeah. Um, but it's become the musical structure of the piece that is quite complex when you listen to the surface of it. Yeah. So you you don't necessarily even notice that Tantamergo is the bass line. Yeah. And it's a long, slow bass line. It's not actually a bass line. It's a tenor line. Tenor means to hold, tenore. Yeah. And, and the reason it got its name was because that guy held the chant. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then bass is, just means bottom. So yeah. there was a guy on the bottom. Yeah. There was a woman on the top, so that's sopra, soprano. Yeah. There's a based on Italian or Latin, I suppose. Yeah. And then the contra alto is the against the high. Alto means high. So contra alto is the contralto. Yeah. Then it got shortened to alto, which means high, which kind of wrecks <laughs> Confused it. Confused everyone. But, yeah. but, you know, the, the, those three parts were weaved around a tenor who held the ancient chant. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that went on for at least about 100 years of the uh, Renaissance period. And then bit by bit, they just um, they let that strictness go. Yeah. So it's imbued with the spirit of chant, but it's like chant all overlapping and becoming yeah. more glorious. Well, well, you, well um, Bird's Mass, uh, yeah. sitting for three parts, you know, I, I the Kyrie, you know, it's just so beautiful. And it is, yeah. it's a perfect example of that, right? It's it's faithful to that tradition. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll give you a quick example of the beginning of a motet. This is um, the Ascension, and you can hear probably... So you hear it climbing in there. Yeah. yeah. So they did they did occasionally paint, it's called word painting when the music reflects in its shape what the words are saying. See, this is something I wanted to talk to you about before, is the sense in which we often don't think about it like this, but music actually encompasses that powerful sense of allegory. Right and and, yeah. and even like sacred music, what it's trying to tell you, the story it's trying to tell you is that you're entering into sort of a heavenly realm. It's yes, divine. Exactly. It shouldn't sound Worldly. like the rest of the world does. Yeah, exactly. And and the rest of the world, like <clears throat> this is for <throat> me, this is the something. There is something almost magical about music as a form of beauty, like nothing yeah. else. Yeah. It literally has the power to change the emotions yeah. or the mind it, of a person. It How is a, powerful it's is a that? very strange art. Um, like all the arts will touch the emotions in a way mm. if you think, you know, yeah. some people are quite moved by poetry, you're moved by a good drama, dance as well. But music has a particular, like most people I think, most artists even agree that music's the most spiritual of the arts because yeah. it because it has the power, even without words, yeah. to change our emotional state. So it's like it communicates at a level of emotion 
it's not just emotion either because it's really the spiritual yearning which isn't yeah. all emotional yeah but but um um and it's mysterious like that because if if, if you think like you, you can use words. It's a bit like describing wine. You know, you so say it's a cheeky little wine. And you know, well, what do you mean by cheeky? How can a wine be cheeky? Yeah. Um, but but with music, you could say, um, you know, people will definitely think, well, there's a there's a beautiful moment of hope that comes into the music at yeah. the end, or there's a or there's a moment of despair, or there's a moment of this or that. Yeah. And you can describe the emotions and and get quite good at that. But um, in some ways, that's mysterious because because. For us to have hope, we need a structure of thought usually, yeah. which says there's something in the future where we will have success because we've got the means to get there and we have hope to get there. Yeah. Or if we have sadness, it might be because um, in the end we can't overcome the obstacle. Yeah. You know, and, and our different emotions are framed by different thoughts. But in music, it goes straight to the emotion without, without necessarily the words. And... Um, I think it's to do with uh, a mixture of things, but one of them is human gesture. If you think about speech, I suppose, um, there's a whole expression that goes with it, and then and, and music sort of picks up on this and, and delivers it in a more refined way than speech, but then you take off the words and you've still yeah. got this thing. Yeah. Um, um, so well, even there's a I psychological think, journey. Well, well there's something even I think the other day about like even beautiful poetry in a sense still relies on, you know, characteristics of music like yeah. rhythm yeah exactly you know what i mean it's, it's yeah 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 there's something very profound in that yeah and rhythm is is the key element in music uh, yeah. really um same with uh any well uh good filmmaking i think is the same there's a certain yeah. rhythm that you yeah. see in the shot composition yeah, and the way yeah, a story yeah, unfolds very visually very true yeah it's yeah the timing yeah. anything that happens through time eh? um like all of the great arts that that go on through time so they're over um, when they're over, it's like a lot, like as opposed to a, a painting on the wall, which is yeah. always there. Yeah. But then you get music where you have to actually pay attention for this period of time and follow yeah. a journey. Yeah. And, and 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 it's sort of like every art expresses something. If you want to take a mystical view, it actually expresses something about God, because all the arts point to beauty, yeah. and the ultimate beauty is God. But the arts themselves aren't ever going to be able to give you that. But they're like a John the Baptist that points to a Messiah that's not them, you know. Yeah. And, and and so you could say, when you look at say painting, um, it's like vision. Our our, our sense of vision gives us the most, um, like, if you think of our senses, you can see a star. Yeah. Um, so that's the and you can get the whole picture of a horizon in your vision. Yeah. And you can and in the painting you get a whole world, a universe in one hit. Yeah. Um and that's and that's like the like almost expressing um our desire for the beatific vision, yeah. you could say, for the vision of God. Um then there's um but in the sound journey, like music, you've got you've always got a home place, you've always got something that unfolded usually with some tension and you got away from home and then yeah. you came back home. There's a resolution. Yeah, there's always a resolution. Mm. And it always makes it back to where it's yeah. Like its origin is its destiny, or, or usually you start and end in the same key. You change key in the middle. Well, I, I, um, I tell you, I tell you what. Even even like there's, it's amazing how some people have used music in this very striking way. I mm. can't remember the composer's name, but he wrote that piece for Hiroshima. Oh yeah, and it's just Penderitsky. those voices, and yeah, that's it. Eh? And, yeah. and just an agony, and and, yes. and the music. It, yeah, it's almost like you're listening to souls being yeah. destroyed, but with an atomic bomb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, the music's so powerful like that. What's the implication of that then? 
Because if, if there's, like you listen to a beautiful sacred piece of music that is designed to reverence God and it's, it's pulling your yeah. soul upwards, does that then mean that there is a potential for music to pull it downwards? Well, that's right. I think so. I, 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 just to finish one thing we were leading to, which was what's a madrigal. Um, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's it will, a, we've will, gone way will, off track. It will be relevant to this because <laughs> yeah. we, we heard a quick snippet of a motet there, which is, which is um, quite high music uh, from the point of view of composition. But at the same time, it's like, it's like the mysteriousness of a, of a Gregorian chant but this time in layers, mm. it's like three D as opposed to two D. Yeah. And even when you look at the art of medieval, it's often two dimensional. It hasn't got the depth factor. Yeah, but it's but it's very very symbolic. Everything symbolizes something, and it's very deep. The art of the Middle Ages. Yeah, and then in the Renaissance, they they took great pride in making it realistic with 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 perspective yeah, and depth. depth. Yeah, uh, and, and in a funny sort of way, music echoed it because it, it suddenly went into harmony, became the third dimension. So there was always yeah. melody and rhythm, two dimensions. Yeah, and then and then you add harmony, and you get this rich thing that's that's sort of 3D. Is there a is there a sense to it's fair to say of a, of a deepening of the dynamics too? I mean, there's always dynamics in even in chant, but it feels like it, it becomes more pronounced because you have the ability to pull entire sections or instruments yeah. out and put yeah, them back well, in. Yeah, again. well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So you can pull away, just go down to two voices yeah. for a special moment or something like that. Um, if I just show you quickly what a this is a madrigal by John Farmer. It's only one minute long. The words are, Fair Phyllis I saw sitting all alone, uh, feeding her flock near to the mountainside. Um, the shepherds knew not whether she was gone, but after her, lover amentus hide, meaning hurried. So so basically, her a lover is looking for Phyllis. He's asked the shepherds, where is she? They go, we don't know. And then, um, and then it says, up and down, 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 17 times. Um, up and down, he wandered while she was missing. When he found her, oh, then they fell a kissing, up and down, up and down, up and down, seventeen more times. But it's not any anything rude. It's just repeating the music. Yeah, and but so that this is what something he supposed, would have. He, when imply, would he have composed this for? So this like was, a party this was or for after dinner music of posh <laughs> posh parties. Yeah, wow. After her love, after her love, I'm in to slide up and down, 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 Oh, then they fell a kissing. Oh, then they fell a kissing. A kissing. Oh, then they fell a kissing. Kissing up and down, 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 up and that's why it's fun. Well, well, and so this is a communal event. You, you you gather together around the harpsichord. No, just this is just sung without anything. Really? This is just sung after you've had a bit to drink. So Uncle John gets up and says, "I yeah. have a new piece." Yes, and he actually wrote the music down on a large piece of paper yeah. facing four different directions. So he put it on the table, wow. and you sat at that seat and read the bass. No and that seat, way. Yeah, they wow. were, they were surviving. Um, Manuscripts like that. Now, now, if you listen to that, that's such a different style to the motet. Oh yeah. And yet, 
every single compositional technique in there yeah. came from writing motets. Yeah. It's, what's different is the rhythm's snappy, yeah. um, the words are funny, and and the um, that paints every single line. You, you might not have noticed it, but when when they said "Fear Phyllis," I saw sitting all alone. Only one person saying that because she's yeah. alone, and it was a soprano. Yeah. Then it said, um, feeding her flock near to the mountainside. That was in a block harmony because sheep and flocks move in blocks. Yeah, that makes sense. And then it, then when the shepherds are being interviewed, do you know where she is? It was polyphony. The shepherds knew, the shepherds knew, the, the, yeah. the, because they're having a conversation. Yeah. And then when it was up and down, up and down, um, the word up was higher than the word down in, in 17 out of the 19 times it's mentioned or something like that, wow. or 16 out of the, whatever it is. Um, every single part, when it said, oh, then they fell a kissing, he displaced the rhythm and put an extra beat in so that you went, yeah. oh. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and um, he turned kissing into a three, four, like a waltz. Yeah. And then, you know, so every single thing, he's being very attentive to the mood of, of the funny poetry. It's a musical to painting. To make them right? laugh. Yeah, it's it, a musical painting. And so that's the depth you're talking about that comes into, and, uh, into and, music. Yeah, and that's and that style is, is for the fun music, but it wasn't in the church music. They didn't do that so much. Is there, can I, yeah. is there, I'm thinking this through, is there a sense of finitude in that? That that uh, whereas in the chart there's not because there's the eternal. Do you know what I mean? Like things resolve quickly, they finish. There's this. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe yeah. Maybe you're more in control of secular music because you're telling your story. Yes, and and you can make it end however you want and all of that. Yeah. Whereas in the church's thing, you're 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 telling the Holy Spirit's story. You're telling God's story. Yeah, and and you're not. You don't have the liberty to um, change the ending. Um. <laughs> so well, that, well, let's get to that point that we started on, and that yeah. we've been all around the place. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this, yeah. This is like a, a, a an out of control rambling motif. central. <laughs> um, yeah. The the uh, I asked you about the soul, and if it can be elevated upwards, does that mean it can be pulled downwards? Is this a reflection then of perhaps where the passions start to probably mm. after Enlightenment liberalism, the passions and Rousseau's whole take on on. Um, you know that very interior psychological subjective approach yep. to life. Well, does that start to influence, and, and music then becomes more at the service of the passions? Well, then? it's funny. Yeah, um, mm. it's a good question um, because I think, yeah, that is. I think the passions. I mean, we love the passions. Yeah, because of they're part of our life. But when it comes to prayer, you're not primarily focusing on your passions. No, you're you're, you're primarily trying to lift things higher than that or offer yeah. them. And yet, funny thing in, in Christian prayer, it's not like Buddhist prayer where you try to empty your mind, have a blank, um, get to nirvana. No. In, in Christian prayer, if you go into the church or whatever with a lot of worries and you've got your family and this isn't going well and blah, blah, um, you, you end up lifting all of that up to God in the yeah. raising of the heart and mind to God. So it's it all, incarnational, right? It's incarnational. You go with it. It all goes up. Yeah. yeah, and the Lord came down to bring us up. Yeah, so, yeah. So, so He went to the lowest of the low on the cross to lift us with Him in that ascension. You know, so, so, so the the idea there is that the Spirit is wanting to go to God, and that, that's what I think comes through in the in the chant and in the Renaissance polyphony. Now, what happens next? Because the madrigal was such genius, that was a yeah. one minute piece, full of creativity. Were they typically that short? Yeah. Yep. Two or three minutes. So short things. Even my tits aren't that long. So this is—is is this the beginning then of what we might like a modern pop song becomes a three-minute, you know, radio play? Is it—is it, is it <coughs> not, starting not, to move not, in that not direction? Not necessarily, because 
all, all there isn't a lot of long music yet. Okay. Anywhere, and and in fact, the reason we got long music, yeah, was precisely because we learned how to take a chant, spin it out as a as a, as a um, <laughs> slow thing, ten minute and weave music around it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 then composers learned to think like that, that they had a long range, simple melody. That no one can see, but it's actually there underneath yeah, the, the music. Yeah, the whole time. Even of a Beethoven symphony that might last 20 minutes or yeah. half an hour. Um, when people analyze Beethoven, part of the job is, um, well, if you think of anything like like little bark thing. Nice tune. But what's he really doing? He's just going... Bum, yeah, yeah. bum, 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 The rest is just froth. Yeah. So, so, <laughs> but so the structure is something simple, usually linear. Yeah. And 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 what um you find, um when you analyze any classical piece of music all the way through to the end of writing in harmony, which was about the end of the nineteenth century, um. If you if you pull out the from the surface notes the main contours, yeah, and then you looked at that like a piece, and then pulled out from them their main contours, you get yourself down mm. in the end to a little simple chant, yeah, and 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 it's like and it's like the composer somehow knew there was a long range linear tune underneath this big complicated thing that you're hearing yeah. when you hear the symphony yeah and 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 th that's quite stunning to know that yeah. um because it actually is the history of music backwards when you <laughs> analyze so you start with simple tunes yeah and then they grow into these structures through the the polyphony of the renaissance and then when you analyze music you're going oh what's the simple tune that's hiding underneath that yeah um complex structure that's holding it together like a, it's like a skeleton yeah it's a little bit like in nature when you look at a leaf on a tree and it, and you look oh look at the little lines it's like a little tree yeah and it's echoing the whole tree yes and 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 some composers even do that on the on the surface of their music they might go do the little um and then over the whole course of that piece um, it's it's all they're like leaves they're hanging the main on tree notes that make yeah. up the, the key changes in that right it's time for another little musical interlude and this time. I'm going to play you a Christmas carol that Robert wrote. It is called Sleep Now, Gentle Jesus. It's a very, very beautiful piece of music, and whenever I hear it, I often find myself in tears, actually. And it is set to the music of Franz Schubert. And what I find so beautiful about this hymn is the way in which Robert has written it as a sort of foreshadowing of Easter. So everything is about Jesus lying in the manger, but all of it is pointing towards his eventual death on the cross and there is this beautiful pathos and and the moment of, of Christ the vulnerable child looking to the moment of profound vulnerability that will befall him upon the cross and that profound act of self-giving love that we remember every Good Friday. So this is Sleep Now Gentle Jesus by Robert Loretz. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed this preview snippet from our latest episode of Conservations. If you want to hear the full two-hour episode with Robert Loretz, that's actually more than two hours with Robert, then you can go to patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia, become a $5 monthly patron, and you will get access to that and all of the other great patrons-only content. That's patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. The link is in today's show notes. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth, and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you on next month's episode of Conservations for another one of our conservative conversations with a new and interesting guest. Thank you.